Please turn with you in your Bibles to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, while I make a couple announcements. First of all, we have had to move a couple of groups in that we were going to have into Berean Baptist Church to a later date in the year. We were planning on having Ambassador Baptist Bible College group in with Dr. Alton Beal and uh, perhaps Dr. Doyle Robertson. And that has needed to be moved back. And then also a group from Fairhaven Baptist Bible College, uh, String Haven, a group of strings players. We're going to have in here soon in May. And that looks like that's going to be need, need to be moved back as well. But that should be coming down the road soon, as soon as we get through this particular time. Also, I want to urge all of our young people to continue to work on their camp credit program through Bible memory and the um, reading of the Christian biographies, and urge you to keep doing that. We, we do plan to still go on and have camp at the Bill Rice Ranch this summer, so hope you'll continue working on those things. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, hope you're there by now. And we're going to look at verse number 5. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Now, how does God give more grace? Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. I'd like you to, would you read that with me, that last part? I'll say it first, then let's all say it. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. All together now, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble goes on and says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. There's this emphasis in verse 6 and verse 10 on humbling ourselves. God gives grace unto the humble. Pride is a very natural sin that comes to us. It creeps in very sneakily, very deceitfully. It's often very difficult for us to see our own pride, and yet it is at the root of most of our sins. The story is told the former heavyweight boxer James Tillis, who was a cowboy from Oklahoma who fought out of Chicago in the early 1980s. Tillis still remembers his first day in the Windy City after his arrival from Tulsa, Oklahoma. It says, I got off the bus with two suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago and stopped in front of the Sears Tower. I put my suitcases down. And I looked up at the tower and said to myself in pride, I'm going to conquer Chicago. He said, I looked down, and both my suitcases were gone. They'd been stolen. Well, it sounds like Chicago had already conquered boxer James Tillis. You know, the Bible tells us that God resists the proud. God resists the proud. Well, we're looking at a book, James chapter 4, where God in chapter 4 is giving us the answer to um, a church that desperately needs revival. James was the senior pastor in Jerusalem, 
and heading up evangelization in Jerusalem. He was leading a church that had been largely scattered due to persecution, probably led by the Apostle Paul before he was saved, Saul. And because the the way the church was scattered, people went about planting churches. The church was still staying in touch, even though it was scattered abroad. If you turn to James chapter 1, the Bible says, James, verse 1, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, next words, my brethren. So they're Christian brothers, they're believers in Jesus Christ, but they're Jews. So this is the early Jewish church in Jerusalem. And they've been scattered abroad, and already they're in trouble. They need revival. Um, Chapter 1 tells us that they have become hearers of the word, but not doers. Um, Maybe someone, you've got a fellow who sits in church and he's shouting, Amen, Amen, but he's not living right. He's not following. He's not obeying. Uh, This is is being a hearer, but not a doer. Chapter 1 also says that in the church in Jerusalem, there was a respect of persons. In other words, someone would come in and they'd give them a good seat because of the way they dressed. But then someone else would come in who had vile raiment, the Bible says. What an amazing statement. Vile raiment, dirty, filthy, smelly, unkempt. The person's clothes are awful looking. And they're told to sit at my footstool. That kind of paints an unusual picture in our mind, doesn't it? A footstool in a church? Were there lazy boy recliners? Were there footstools? Well, obviously, some were given lesser positions because of their clothing. This was a problem in the church. And then there was not just being a hearer and not a doer and a respected person, but there was there were people who, who had faith without works. They weren't showing forth their faith. Uh, chapter 3 is all about the tongue and the fighting and the bickering. They were praying, but... They, they weren't getting answers because they were praying to consume it upon their lusts. And James 4 gives us the answer. How to have revival, the remedy, the cure to these problems. And he comes down and shows them in chapter 4, verse number 4, that the problem is worldliness. And then he gives the cure a little later. Uh, but worldliness, verse number 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. What is worldliness? It's a way of thinking. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of, the, of life is not of the Father, but is, is of the world. So, the lust of the flesh, it's what my flesh desires for me. The lust of the eyes, what I see that I want for me. The pride of life, it's all about me, pride. This is the issue, this is the bottom line. It's a selfishness that has set in. There's a me-centeredness to uh, pride of life. It's all about what I want. And all this fighting and lust and warfare and endings all come out of this. And James is dealing with a church that that is very me-centered, very worldly. It's not Christ-centered. And you can see it in the way they talk and the way their faith doesn't show out. 
in the way they have respect for different people over others. And he says, here's the cure, verse 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Well, I'd like to point out two points this morning. Number one, pride closes the door to the throne room of God's grace. Pride closes the door to the throne room of God's grace. We look at verse 6. It says at the end, well, the beginning says, but he giveth more grace. How does he do it? Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. He wants to give grace, but he cannot. He resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Pride closes the door to the throne room of God's grace. Now, this is God wants to work, but there's something in the way. There's a, there's a book called Glory Fill the Land, and it's written, uh, the third section, about Evan Roberts. It's about the Welsh Revival, and the story is told uh, during the time of the Welsh Revival of Evan Roberts, who it says that he had a, a real sensitive spirit to even be able to de detect when people were in the audience who some sin was keeping them from getting right, and other times when people were just in opposition. And he at one time stopped preaching and said, I sense there's a willful opposition here to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God. And it's hindering God's working in our midst today. So let's all go to prayer right now and ask that those present who oppose the Holy Spirit, will either repent or leave the service. During that prayer time, four men got up and left. And Mr. Evan Roberts said that immediately the atmosphere was changed. He continued to preach, and God greatly worked. You know, the four men who left were all preachers. Preachers who were listening to this um, not very well-educated Evan Roberts. And there was a pride that had set in. And do you know that it was those four men's pride and presence that, that the Holy Spirit wasn't able to work? What was the holdup? Pride was in the way. You know, sometimes God wants to work. You ever sense that God is drawing you to himself, but there's something in the way, there's something in the road. Maybe you can feel the resistance in your, inside yourself to following the Lord. I want to draw nigh to God, but... I don't want to miss out in God's working, but there's something stopping me. Well, it's always the same thing. It's always the same thing, and James tells us what it is here. What keeps us back from having spiritual victory, God resisteth the proud. You notice that this, this section is about, it's very clear, isn't it? It says, God resists the proud. I want you to see, number one, God always resists the proud. Let me give a few illustrations. Number one, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible says pride goeth before destruction, and Nebuchadnezzar was just about destroyed because of his pride. It also says in Proverbs 11, too, when pride cometh, then cometh shame, and Nebuchadnezzar was shamed publicly because of his pride. In fact, the Bible tells us about Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 that as he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon, the king spake, this is Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, 
And the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. It goes on to say that God said he would drive him from his kingdom, he would eat grass, and he would do this for seven times, perhaps seven years. And he says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, verse 34, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is everlasting. In the last verse in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar says, those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. What an illustration, Nebuchadnezzar. It, is, it was Paul Ferguson who wrote in the Journal of the Evangelical Theological Society an article called Nebuchadnezzar Gilgamesh and the Babylonian Job. He said this, Nebuchadnezzar stood on his palace roof, which had been made of cedar from the forests of Lebanon, stacked all around were over 15 million bricks, each containing his name and royal titles. He was surrounded by six walls, and a 262-foot moat. Uh, Paul Ferguson goes on to say, he had forgotten, though, that all the bricks were made of mud. He'd also forgotten the affirmation made at his accession that all he possessed came from one God. He did not remember that his own father had put on a monument, called himself the son of a nobody. Helpless, in other words, without his God. He failed to notice two streets below him were called Bow Down, Proud One, and a second street, May the Arrogant Not Flourish. Nebuchadnezzar did not even recall that one of the names of his own palace was the place where proud ones are compelled to submit. Obviously, that title was spoken of those who were brought to his palace. He had made them submit, but what a title for Nebuchadnezzar himself, the place where proud ones are compelled to to submit. Let me ask you, does God resist the proud? Is God able to abase those who lift themselves up? Nebuchadnezzar came to that conclusion at the end. Another illustration is Herod. Herod was destroyed and brought to shame. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. The Bible says in Acts chapter 12, verse 21, and upon a set day Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God, and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms, and gave up the ghost. Can you imagine this? Herod, on his throne, making an oration, the people shout, It's the voice of a God. And Herod says, Yes, it does kind of sound like God when I talk, doesn't it? I am rather godlike. Yes, I am quite... I, I think I may be God. He did not give God the glory. And the Bible says he's immediately uh, disgustingly eaten of worms from the inside out and he gave up the ghost. Yes, I, I guess so. Well, whether you're Nebuchadnezzar and you're eating grass, or whether you're Herod and you're eaten of worms, is it true? Does God resist the proud? Is he able to abase those who exalt themselves? More to the point, 
Is God resisting us? Is God resisting you? I'm against that Christian because they're full of pride. Isn't it wonderful when God gives talents? Maybe God's given you the ability to do something in a business or the ability to uh, gifting with an instrument or a piano or a voice. Perhaps God's gifted you in some way to accomplish something, but every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. We are not, we only are what we are by the grace of God. If we are taking pride in what we have, God resisteth the proud. God says, I'm against that person. God can be against a pastor who's proud, against any person. He's automatically against, resist the proud. Imagine your phone rings during, while you're listening to the message, and you, um, and you step out, and you catch the phone, and uh, you, you should have had your phone off. But you had your phone on, you stepped out, and um, God speaks to you, not, not to the preacher, right through your phone. And you say, hello. And God says, this is the Almighty God, and I want you to know, because of your proud, I'm against you. I'm against you. Can you imagine if you got a call from heaven, and God told you he was resisting you? Maybe you have a job interview this week, and you're, you're on your way to the job interview, and the words come back, I'm against you. You're on your own on this job interview. Or maybe you're driving to work, and it's... it's Bad news driving through Nashville traffic regularly, but imagine driving through knowing God's against you. Or being a father in a home or a husband. and The head of your home, you're responsible to lead a family, and, and yet there's pride in your life because God's told you to do something or to stop doing something, and you've said no. As though your way is better. And you're resisting God. And God's against you. And you want to lead your family, and God says, goodbye. Good luck. I'm against you. Did you know that God resists the proud? This is, it's a serious thing. Not only does God always resist the proud, but God always gives grace to the humble. Always gives grace to the humble. That's what the verse says. Verse 6 he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. This is also illustrated all over the Bible. I, I want you to turn to 1 Kings 21, verse 21, if you would. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 21. Ahab, one of the most wicked kings that ever lived in Israel, at one point humbled himself. And amazingly, God gave him grace. This is 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 21. The Bible says, Behold, I will bring evil upon thee. This is Elijah talking to Ahab, saying, I'm going to bring evil on you because you stole your neighbor's vineyard. Naboth's vineyard had him put to death, you and your wife did. And he says, Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, 1 Kings 21, 21, and will take away thy posterity. Verse 25 says, But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably 
in following idols according to all things, as did the Amorites. Look at verse 27. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, verse 29, verse 29 is an incredible verse. You ought to mark it in your Bible. God says to Elijah, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? It almost This verse almost sounds like God is excited. He's like, I don't mean to be irreverent here, but it's almost like God elbows his prophet Elijah and says, Do you see him? Do you see him? Verse 29, Seest thou how... It's like God had been waiting on Ahab to humble himself. Yes, Ahab. Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me because he humbleth himself before me. I will not bring the evil in his days. Had God, been, had God been waiting on Ahab to humble himself? Is God waiting on you to humble yourself so he can work? Pride closes the door to the throne room of God's grace. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. He gives more grace. Verse 29 goes on and says, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil. Now his son Jehoram was a wicked king also. And Jehoram was killed by Jehu. Now Jehu, you'll remember, 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 26, he's chasing after Jehoram in his chariot, and he pulls his bow and arrow with his, the Bible says, his full strength. Jehu always did everything with his full strength. He rides his chariot furiously, like some of you men drive out there. He he pulls his bow with his full strength and lets loose with the arrow, and it hits Ahab's son between the shoulder blades, comes out the other side. And the Bible tells us that, that Jehu says, bury him right where he fell here in the, in the vineyard of Naboth because of what he did to Naboth, as the word of the Lord said. Did did Ahab sin find him and his family out? Yes, it did. But amazingly, God said, when he humbled himself, God said, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his evil son's days. Amazing, God gives grace even to an Ahab. And why? Why? Because God delights in mercy. Why does God... Why does Jesus spend time around the lukewarm Laodicean church knocking at the door asking if any man will open the door I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me God is waiting for you to open the door to him and you know pride closes the door to the throne room of God's grace but he gives grace unto the humble. This is the second king illustration that God always gives grace to the humble. Ahab and then second Manasseh. Would you turn to Second Chronicles 33? Another incredible, incredible illustration from Scripture that God gives grace to the humble. If Ahab was perhaps the most wicked king in Israel to the north, well, Manasseh was the Ahab of the south. He was baddest of the bad, most wicked of the most wicked kings, of the south in Judah. 
And I want you to see this. Second Chronicles chapter 33. You ought to mark this in your Bible. Second Chronicles chapter 33, verses 2 and verse 9. Verse 2 says that he did evil. I'm picking up in the middle of the verse. He did evil like unto the heathen whom the Lord had cast out. Verse 9 says, He did worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed. Look at verse 10. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. They are not listening to God. Verse 11, Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns. He's a prisoner of war now. And they bound him with bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, the stories of what the Assyrians did to their captives are almost unspeakable. But the Bible says when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God. And you ought to mark it in verse 12 because God says it's important in verse 12. And down in verse 19, God repeats it. Verse 12 that when he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Oh, you ought to mark it. It says, verse 13, And prayed unto him, and he was entreated. God listened and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord, he was God. Now, what you just read is perhaps one of the most amazing stories in the Bible, that this wicked king of Judah humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. You'd think it's too late. He's already a prisoner of war of the Assyrian Empire. But no, God immediately gives grace. Did you know that God resists the proud, the proud but gives grace unto the humble? Even if he's an Ahab, even if he's an Ahab of the south named Manasseh. And the Bible tells us that immediately this man's life is changed and he spends the rest of his days trying to Repair the wickedness that he'd done. Fix, undo all the damage he'd done in his kingdom. He says in verse 15, he took away the strange gods and the idols out of the house of the Lord. Verse 16, he repaired the altar of the Lord. And verse number 19 is most amazing. It says at the end of the verse that all the things that, that he had done wrong, he tried to get rid of them, those things that he'd done before he was humbled. All the wicked things. But verse 20 and 23 are tragic. So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house. And Ammon, his son, reigned in his his stead. You see, it was too late. He may have been able to correct a lot of things, but his son was too far gone. Verse 23 says, Ammon humbled not himself before the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself. And Ammon trespassed more and more. You know, God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. It's a fearful thing. This, this is that pride closes the door to the throne room of God's grace. I want us to see this second point, and finally, that pride opens the door to our adversary, the devil. Uh, I'd like you to look at the text very closely. Look at verse 6. It says, He giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You see how humility and submission 
are put next to each other. God gives grace unto the humble. So because of that, therefore, submit yourselves to God. Therefore, to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. What is being said is that when we are proud, not only does God resist us, but the devil does not flee from us. It's like he's a welcome companion, a friendly foe. I'd like to have the devil as your friendly foe. When we humble ourselves and submit to God, we're in a safer position. But proud makes us vulnerable because God resists the proud. And the devil doesn't flee when we're proud. Pastor Lang, doesn't everyone have trouble from the devil? Well, of course. The devil is mentioned twice in the qualifications of the pastor. That that a pastor shouldn't be a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. That he has to have a good report of them that are without, a good testimony from the outside, um, lest he become a reproach, the snare of the devil. But yes, you're right. Every, we're all attacked by the devil, but can I say it this way? You'll be a lot more susceptible, a lot more exposed to the devil, a lot, more, a lot wider open to his attack if you're in in your if you, if you don't deal with pride because the bible says god gives grace to the humble who submit themselves then they can resist the devil and he'll flee see pride in me usually isn't some walking around with a puffed chest big head bragging boasting Usually it's as simple as God saying, you need to make that right. No, Lord, I, I don't want to apologize. No way, I'm not doing that. I don't think I need to. Or God telling me you need to deal with that sin. Lord, I, I don't think that's a sin, Lord. It's, it's a small thing. It's a weakness. It's just an issue. It's when God says something and I argue with him. No, I'm not submitted. I'm not humbling myself. You know... As long as we have pride in our life, the devil gets along just fine with us. He's not going to flee from us. Flee from us? Are you kidding? This is it's telling the devil to get away from us, resisting him and telling him to go, while I'm not submitted to God, that's a joke. The devil's not going anywhere. He's just going to come right back if he does. But the amazing thing is the Bible says that when I humble myself, God does not resist me. God gives grace. And when I'm submitted, I can resist the devil. He'll flee. I'd like to point out that, that second and finally, that pride opens the door for our adversary, the devil. Now, the amazing thing is, the moment I humble myself, immediately there's grace. Uh, I can resist the devil. He'll flee. Immediately when I humble myself, he gives grace unto the humble. Instantly from the throne room of the majesty on high, there comes grace from God, instant deliverance. And I can apply this Bible truth every day, all day. As long as we are walking with the Lord, humbly submitted, there's constant victory over Satan. And we can, as Jesus did, just tell him, get thee behind me. I'm not even going to argue with you. I'm just, get thee behind me, Satan, and keep moving on. 
serving the Lord. Think of it this way. An illustration would be the demoniac of Gadara. As soon as Jesus and the disciples come to shore, the demoniac approaches and he's screaming and yelling and he falls at Jesus' feet and he's spewing out these things. Why have you come here to torment me before the time? And Jesus asked him the question, what his name is. And there's this wild, crazed, demonic voice that comes out of this man. It's not even the man's voice. He does not have control of his voice. It is the devil speaking through him that their name is Legion. That there's thousands of devils. That's the meaning of Legion. Thousands of devils inside this man. And incredibly, uh, though he can't even control his own voice, he's kneeling. And actions speak louder than words. You know, the devils, they're perverted, they're, they're wicked, they're vile, and they're unclean, but they understand authority. And this man humbles himself. He may not even be able to control his own voice, but he falls to his knees. And Jesus uh, immediately gives this word, go. When they say, can we go into the swine? He just gives that small, short command, go, and they're gone. And the man then is next seen sitting and talking in his right mind, calm. Because these devils, they understand authority. And you know, when you and I are rightly submitted to God, humbly, God gives grace. And we can resist. And the devil will flee from us. This is just a simple truth that pride closes the door to the throne room of grace. But it opens the door to our adversary, the devil. And so, having seen these things, in my mind, I picture the God who said, in the verses right after the ones we're looking at, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to thee. But I can't. I can only resist pride. And when there's pride, I cannot work. There's something in the way of God's working. Do you know that pride gives God no runway to come down and work? He is held up in his schedule. Imagine a pilot circling and circling, looking, waiting for, for room to land his plane. And God waiting, waiting for us to deal with the pride and humble ourselves. Let me ask you, do you believe that God resists the proud? Do you believe that God would give grace, gives grace to the humble? If you would submit yourselves to God, do you believe that in humble submission you would have victory over the devil? He would flee? God's grace would be sufficient? Well, the Bible says, verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He shall lift you up. Say, Pastor, I, I see that there's been pride in my life. God showed it to me. I want to humble myself. I want to deal with my sin. I want to humble myself before him. I need grace, the grace of God, to have victory over his sin. I've been telling God no about something, or perhaps God's been saying to do, telling me to get rid of something, that something in my life is not right, and I've been putting up with that sin. Well, you may not think it's a big issue, but if it's keeping you from the throne room of God's grace, it is a big issue. If it's opening the door to our adversary, the devil, and he won't flee because of pride, it's a big issue. You want to say, God, I've been wrong. You've spoken to me. 
and I'm ready to deal with this. Lord, you've revealed pride in me, and I need to make it right. I want to humble myself today. Let me tell you, if God will hear an Ahab and a Manasseh, and he will give grace, God will hear you too. The Bible says, if we've said this verse the last several weeks, that God said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, first thing on the list, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. This is key. This is central. This is James telling God's people the key to revival, to having God's working, God's grace, victory over Satan, is humility, dealing with pride, submitting ourselves to God. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the power of the word of God to show us there is victory over Satan that we can resist and he will flee if we will humbly submit ourselves to you, if we will deal with the pride. Lord, would you deal with pride right now in us? Would you open eyes spiritually to see where the pride has come in? Pride is such a deceitful thing. It is hard to see in the mirror our own sins. Would you help us now? Lord, where has pride gotten in that is blocking the runway for you to work? Lord, there's individuals now that are here that that they want you to work, but there's a resistance inside them too. And they're not seeing you work because of some pride that's entered in. And Lord, maybe there's someone who's lost today and they need to, they need to humble themselves and admit themselves a sinner in need of Jesus Christ as a Savior and must rely upon another, Jesus Christ, to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. Would you help this one who's lost listening today that they will no longer rely upon their own works or their own ability for salvation. But they'll trust in Jesus Christ alone, the Savior, the Son of God, who came and died their death, took their punishment of their sins, and trust in Him alone, who died for them for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.